Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you are in the world and what time it is when you're tuning in. This is Perrin Desports, and I'm your host for the Group Practice Accelerator podcast from Polaris Healthcare Partners. If you're an entrepreneurial dentist or physician, and you're interested in building a successful group practice, you found your primary resource for some of the industry's best business education. My partner, DeWalker Sinha, and I have decades of experience helping people just like you launch, scale, and ultimately exit successful group practices. In short, we create clarity, confidence, and results. We'll welcome everybody to yet another episode of the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. Hopefully, many of you will be listening to this in the week between Christmas and New Year's of 2023, heading into 2024, probably taking a little bit of time off thinking about what 2023 was and what 2024 can become for you. So I'm going to give you a couple of thoughts on what that looked like for me, at least as we take inventory on 2023. Get your pad and pen ready. There's probably a lot to come in this episode and certainly brew another wonderful cup of that meal of coffee. The Group Practice Accelerator podcast is on the air. Welcome, everybody, once again to the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. I am your host, Perrin Desports. Thank you for a little bit of time and joining me today. As I prefaced in the introduction, this will probably be an episode, hopefully at least, that will land in that week between Christmas and New Year's uh, when many of you are finishing up things uh, for 2023, thinking about strategic planning for 2024, trying to figure out some things, what's going to be different in the year to come, and maybe even take an inventory of what was hopefully a very successful year for you in 2023. Uh, I wanted to share a couple of thoughts on uh, the way I look at, uh, for me personally, at least, the way I look at 2023, give you some things to think about as we turn into 2024. I'll probably go deeper into 2024 in a subsequent episode of the podcast. So let's focus on 2023 um, on this one. This was an interesting year for me. Uh, It was a year marked by a lot of transition, a lot of change, a good bit of upheaval, (laughs) and things that I don't talk about too terribly much on the podcast. I'm not going to go into depth in all of them, but it was a, a year that started off a little bumpy. And when I look back, take a little bit of time, and I look back over the year that 2023 has been, Honestly, standing um, on the precipice of 2024, it's a a year that was marked by a lot of personal growth. Um, I think in the first quarter of the year, I was uh, overworked, stressed out. I had a lot of travel, a lot of dynamic things happening in the business um, and and a lot of challenges along the way. Um, And I was really starting to hit a wall. Honestly, um, you know, as a person, as an entrepreneur, as a, a husband, as a father, and it was a a year that started off on some highs and in, in a lot of ways, candidly, but um, wasn't very fulfilling through that first um, bit of the journey that was calendar year 2023. And I found myself challenged in a lot of ways uh, in terms of what I wanted to think about, uh, how you know how I was operating for the year, what I wanted out of it. And it was really the beginning part of a year like I'd never been through before. I decided to make a change uh, in business coaches. I left the strategic coach program at the uh, probably end of Q1 thereabouts, 
uh, I started working with a, a, a new business coach in a one-on-one -on -one relationship, which has been uh, a tremendous level of growth for me personally. Um, and I'm a lot better for it. Um, candidly, I also started working with a, a counselor um, periodically on some things that I needed to work on for me, um, you know, on the personal side of the ledger. And I think all of that takes a while to turn the corner. And I think all of it has borne a lot of fruit for me, but it was not without its challenges um, uh, from a personal standpoint, for sure. One of the things that came to me along the way, and I can't remember how I was uh, recommended this book, um, but it came from several different sources. Uh, and, and it's a book by a guy named Arthur C. Brooks, um, who writes a, a column in The Atlantic uh, and was the CEO of the American Enterprise Institute, a think tank in Washington, D.C., um, and he's a Harvard Business School professor now, and he writes a lot about the subject of happiness. And uh, the book that I read that came out a couple of years ago by him is called From Strength to Strength by Arthur C. Brooks. Uh, it was a New York Times bestseller. I missed it when it came out. Um, but every now and again, we all read books that speak to us. Um, they say something in such a way, or it's timely, or the subject matter lands with a, something like that, where you feel like you're reading a book and it and it's, it's telling you something, it's speaking to you, it moves you. This is a book that I read that uh, shouted at me. Um, I felt like the book was written for me. I felt like it was uh, all about where I found myself in my personal journey. Um, and it's probably one of the best books I've ever read. But the reason that I think it's one of the best books that I've ever read is because of the time of my life that I read it in bad grammar. But you follow what I'm saying. It may speak to a number of you who are at the same stage of life as I am. Probably when you're listening to this, I'll be uh, getting close to my 53rd birthday on December 31st. So I am mid-career, mid-life. Um, and like many of you who are at the same sort of general phase or stage of your mid to late 40s to early 50s, even 60s, we're all going through some level of transitions. And some of that is proactive and some of that is, I wouldn't even say reactive. Some of it happens to you and you don't even realize it. And this is a book that started digging in on a lot of that. And like I say, it, it spoke very loudly to me where I found myself. It's a book that I basically wore out a bunch of highlighters. I've read it three times this year. I've listened to a bunch of podcasts that Arthur Brooks has been on to talk about um, that particular book. Um, and, and it's really a, a book that created a lot of thought and some subsequent reading in other books around the similar subject nature. And it starts off with a pretty, I don't know, I, I'd say bold statement that there are a lot of studies that show that people get slightly unhappier from a young adult stage through their early 50s. And then at some point in their early to mid to late 50s, they kind of rebound and, and the graph turns back up and they become much happier through the later stages of uh, the decade of their 50s, through their 60s, and ultimately through their 70s. And this is, there are multiple studies that show this. I mean, I might have heard it before, but I probably discounted it while I was along the same stage of journey and just wrote it off to different 
stresses and anxieties of life like we all have um, being being motivated people, entrepreneurs predominantly who are success driven. One of the things that he talks about in the opening stages of the book is something he calls the hedonic treadmill. And you can kind of see where this is going. Uh, hedonism and the the aspect of finding life, uh, finding yourself in the middle of life as if it were a treadmill. Uh, and it's the pursuit of money, power, pleasure, or fame. Money, power, pleasure, or fame. Which one are you chasing? Or are you chasing multiple ones at different times? All of us who are successful in business, the business doesn't become successful without us. We have some level of drive, determination, stick-to-itiveness, ego or otherwise that, that creates predominantly the success that the business embodies. And through that drive, uh, or, or that drive, I would say, is, is motivated, the, the construct of staying on the treadmill for extended period of uh, time is, is driven through money, power, pleasure, or fame. And when you think about those four different pieces in which one you're chasing, it's not an obvious answer. You spend a little, I spend a lot of time with each one kind of slicing and dicing it and, and thinking about it as it relates to me. And, you know, the, the drive that I've had through my career and certainly with the, the business that DeWalker and I have right now, what, what did that look like for me? Uh, what was the primary motivator for me staying on the treadmill between money, power, pleasure, and fame? It could be different for all of us. Inevitably, when you start chasing things like that, we don't like to admit it, but we do it from a comparative standpoint. Um, that's not unique to me. It's not unique to you in this audience. It's all of us who are, who are strivers, who are driven to create something greater than ourselves, but we also do it as we look at others and comparison is the thief of joy is a great quote from Theodore Roosevelt. Comparison is the thief of joy. And a lot of what Arthur Brooks writes about is in the vein of happiness and this starts to really come into light in something that he, he calls the striver's curse. And the striver's curse is, is all of us chasing increasing levels of achievement, success, satisfaction, wealth, money. We're all motivated by something and, and we all want more of it until we realize that those dopamine responses that we get from those levels of achievement start to diminish and they start to diminish over time gradually. And then they start to diminish dramatically. And the next rung on the ladder, the next bit of success that you create, the, the next deal that you close, whatever it is that you're, you're chasing, whatever it is that you're striving for comes a point in life where it doesn't matter as much anymore. It doesn't, it doesn't ring the bell the way it used to. It do, you're not, you don't get the sensation of spiking the football the way you used to. It no longer fulfills you. And that is a challenge to confront for all of us who are wired to reach for the next rung on the ladder. And it's a little bit scary 
when you realize that it's happening to you and you read about it in a book or maybe you hear about it on a podcast like this because it's something that is it's you're wrestling with it internally <laughs> you know you can't you can't really resolve it and you don't know why it's happening and what you find is that there are two sort of uh, intelligence curves that are that are in play um, uh, with you, and one of them is called fluid intelligence. And this is this is that entrepreneurial capacity. It's the ability to solve complex analytical problems quickly. Um, it's you know that that thing that we're really good at, like answers come easy, they come fast. It's uh, things things feel simple and you know, you have that computational capabilities that just allow you to keep hitting home runs over and over and over again. It, it feels easy. And these are things that for knowledge workers, like I would assume all of you in this audience are, these are characteristics, these are traits, these are capabilities that peak late in your late 30s, and they start to decline into your mid 50s. And I never knew that. I, I learned that through reading not only this book, but a couple of others. Um, but it also started talking to me about where I was and the way I was, you know, seemingly struggling with things that I, I used to remember. And I, I didn't, it took me a second to think about it. And I, I couldn't quite get it the way I used to there. You know, sometimes I would joke with people like the synapses just aren't firing. You know, I would say that and lo and behold, it's kind of true. Um, but you stay on that hedonic treadmill and, and you keep chasing the brass rings and the next rung on the ladder because what you're good at early on is what you want to keep doing. If you've ever heard the phrase, the trend is your friend, this is why we keep pushing harder and harder when success means less and less and it seems to be um, a greater challenge or it's not coming as easily as it once was. And when you go through that kind of phase of, of midlife for, for knowledge workers, um, it's a little bit alarming because you feel like you're slipping. It's really different if if you watch, I don't know, NFL or some type of sports, gymnastics or or whatever, and you see like somebody who's a professional football player and they're in their early 30s and, and you can see it on TV where you say, wow, they're just, that person's just not as fast as he once was, or that, that, you know, the gymnast peaked at age 18 or something, and he or she's all washed up by the time they're 22, because they're not as strong or fast or pliable, or you can see it in physical traits on the television, but for knowledge workers, it's, it's challenging because it doesn't manifest itself like that. We're not talking about a 40-yard dash time here or something. This, this is a different mental capacity. And what you find is that as that fluid intelligence is starting to decline, your crystallized intelligence, which is your ability to, to take disparate ideas, take concepts, put them into a coherent whole, and, and to tell stories to make them relatable, this is wisdom that's that's really you've gained through your experience in life, uh, and it's your ability to teach it and figure it out in terms of what things mean. And this is a, a phase of intelligence that increases through your 40s all the way up through your 50s, and it peaks late in your 70s. And as one fluid intelligence curve is diminishing, 
you find that you have a crystallized intelligence curve that's increasing. And this is why there are so many people of mid-career who've had tremendous experience in life as, as business people, as uh, you know, social animals, as parents, as counselors, as everything. They can relate so many things to people and they can verbalize it in such a way that makes it easy to understand. Why is that? Well, it's based on the fact that they're smart to begin with, but they've had a, a lifetime experience and they can impart wisdom along the way. And these two intelligence curves, the, the decline in fluid intelligence and the increase in crystallized intelligence really brought to light a lot of the things that I was feeling as an entrepreneur, as somebody who has had a a pretty decent degree of success through my career and, and at some points, differing levels of fulfillment. But when that's all happening, it also brings into question, is this all there is? And that is more of a values-based assessment than a, than a dollar in your bank account. And when we start thinking about, is this all there is, you start thinking through the the thing you remember when your parents told you when you were young, son, there's difference between needs and wants. <laughs> um, well, you can break it down into needs and haves and wants. And, and really thinking about, is this all there is, comes back to the fact that it's not about really having more, it's about wanting less. And in the second half of life, that, that changes pretty, pretty substantially and pretty dramatically. Uh, and sometimes we see that in our children, and sometimes we we contemplate that for ourselves. Obviously, um, you know, for those who studied uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs in college or otherwise, we're not talking about, at least in the United States, the you know security and and physiological safety and and those early phases of of what needs truly are i don't think any of us want for that but when we start thinking about the the higher rungs of of what maslow talked about in terms of esteem self esteem respect self actualization and becoming the best that you can be becoming all that you are the most that you can be that's different and that that takes on a different phase uh, in your second half of life. And, you know, when it comes to uh, us, really, we need to learn to want what we have and, and not have what we want uh, in order to create stable happiness. I'll say that again. It's a great quote taken out that I took out of the book for you. We need to learn to want what we have, not to have what we want in order to create steady and stable happiness. So happiness comes down to, as Arthur Brooks talks about at least, a combination of joy, satisfaction, and purpose. Do you really enjoy what you're doing? Do you derive joy from it? Not in the, the spiritual, biblical sense here, but you know, do you, do you enjoy uh, what it is that you're tasked with doing and, and what you find yourself involved in? Is there some level of satisfaction in it? And do you derive meaning from it, purpose out of it? Um, satisfaction comes down to that relationship between haves and wants. And really, you know, again, we need to learn to want what we have, not have what we want. And 
when we start thinking about happiness in that context more, it comes down to four daily habit categories that he talks about, faith, family, friendship, and work that serves others. Faith, family, friendship, and work that serves others. And many of you are healthcare professionals in this audience. Y'all do a lot of work that serves others and you create greater health-oriented outcomes for that. I, I admire that. You've heard me say my wife is an ophthalmologist. You know, what What she spent a career doing, I, I can only imagine what that feels like. Many of you can relate to that because you probably do it every hour of every day. So it's might not be even any big deal to you at this point, but it is something that I would tell you to maybe pump the brakes just a little bit and Think about what your God-given craft is and, and how you do serve others. And for the rest of us, there are ways beyond healthcare services that we can find to serve others. But faith, family, and friendships are, are things that sometimes we put on the back burner on the side as, as we're going through building a business. And I know that I have. And I think that's one of the challenges as I find um, some of the things I'm wrestling with at mid-career, like what you know, mid-career and mid-life for that matter. What what does faith, what does the role that faith plays in my life? I'm a husband and a and a father, obviously, but beyond that, what is what is the bigger picture around family? And, you know, have friendships taken a backseat to to my um, desire to build a, a faster paced, arguably more successful career? And I would tell you that all too often friendships have taken a backseat to that. And I don't know that that's a point I'm really proud of right now. So creating habits around happiness, you know, comes uh, as Brooks talks about is, is a function of understanding it, practicing it and sharing it. And obviously understanding it, I've, I've done a lot of reading from not just his book and a number of podcasts and some Ted talks and things like that, but several other books as well. And there's a lot that's written in this general genre around second half of life endeavors and finding happiness and, and a lot of other things that are somewhat rooted in science, somewhat rooted in spirituality, um, some a little bit of all of the above. But putting it into practice comes down to a couple of things, you know, maybe four different steps. One is figuring it out, defining it. What are your values and your morals and deciding to live according to them, uh, writing them down, journaling it. A lot of you do journaling. I do um, a gratitude principle every day or try to at least. Um, but I need to be better probably about just dwelling on it. Uh, writing it, journaling it. The second thing would be building a meditative practice and a, a practice of quiet contemplation when you can be at peace. I implemented this in the second half of the year. Uh, and I'll tell you, 10 to 15 minutes a day is not too much to ask on mindfulness meditation, and it makes a world of difference. Um, and I'm a, a firm believer in it. I'm late to the game on that. Um, but it is uh, something that is absolutely part of uh, a daily routine for me, and I'm better for it. Um, reading faith or wisdom or something of, of purpose, spiritual or otherwise, um, you know, to expose yourself to, to people who have, frankly, more profound thoughts than you do. Call it learning uh, if you want, but 
it's more than that. I mean, a lot of us read books. I'm constantly trading book recommendations with many of you in the audience. Um, but this is this is more than just about general reading. I would say it's it's wisdom, it's purpose. Uh, I've started reading more faith-based literature um, uh, over the course of this year, and again. I think it's made a profound impact and I'm better off for it. And then the last piece is being more proactive, being more committed um, to reaching out to friends on a daily basis to to connect with people just to see how they're doing. And when I say connect with them, I mean, it can be a call, certainly, but even a text or an email or sometimes when I'm traveling to different cities to speak at a conference or um, uh, on a client visit or something like that. I'll try to wrap in a, a dinner with a friend that I haven't seen in a while and might have lost touch uh, with from a, a prior phase of my life. And that's been really, really rewarding. Um, and it's not too hard to send one simple text message to a friend or a loved one on a daily basis, you know, um, and check in with them periodically. Uh, and it's, it's fulfilling, it's rewarding and it's grounding. Um, so all of those, you know, going through and, and figuring out what your values are and really trying to define, uh, what you're about and what what means something to you and journal about it is is the first step again that doesn't take that much time uh, meditative practice 10 to 15 minutes reading for 30 minutes a day on some type of wisdom or purpose or faith-based orientation um, and then a simple text or a call to a, a friend i mean all within an hour you can accomplish a lot in those four things and if we can't find an hour in our schedules and our busy lives then i think we're probably doing something wrong or we got our priorities wrong so if crystallized intelligence that i mentioned before means passing it on to others, teaching it, you know, sharing it with an audience. Um, and I don't consider what I do from the stage, at least when we talk about business concepts, I don't know that I really consider that teaching or sharing. I guess it could be, but I don't, that's, that's not the way I'm thinking about this. Um, so you don't need, my, my point to all of you is you don't need to be on a stage to share something. All of you have a lot of wisdom. All of you have a lot of experience uh, that you can share. Sometimes it's just a matter of piecing it together. But, you know, I think we, we fall into the trap of using something like Google to, to search a term or a concept. And you can find a lot of knowledge on Google. And if you can assimilate the the knowledge into some coherent whole then you've got some aspect of intelligence and i think we you hear people talking a lot about knowledge and intelligence these days that is search engine related or now it's ai driven and things like that i'm not talking about any of that right now i'm really talking about you know certainly having some level of core knowledge and intelligence but wisdom is gained through experience and wisdom is it's shared. It's not taught. You know, you have to, you have to be smart enough to have the, the information, the knowledge, but once you have the experience that relates to it, now you have the ability to share wisdom that accelerates somebody else's learning curve. And that's a, that's a really cool position to be in. And the more I've thought about my role in our business and, and, you know, what it means to the business, but also what it means to me personally. Um, it, it's given me the the freedom to kind of, you know, what, what do you hear called mine your mastery? 
mine, M-I-N-E, like dig for more wisdom, mine your mastery and cultivate your community. Um, and we're doing a lot of that at Polaris, but a, a lot of that is is driven, frankly, through, you know, my desire to, to sort of craft a, a slightly different role for me in the business. And that's, that's been kind of fun. It's been creative. It's, it's sort of a cool process to be able to go through. Um, so, you know, as we think about happiness in the second half of life, um, it's, it, it, you know, you end up thinking about it from no longer at wanting to add things as much. I mean, really it's almost stopping th this, adding more and more um uh to the equation but starting to take more away um you know in terms of attachments be it physical possessions or opinions or psychological hang-ups and things like that it's it's trying to remove um separate the wheat from the chaff and get a little bit of clarity around all of it and there's a, an interesting piece in the book from strength to strength where he talks about Carl Jung uh, and this concept of the two halves of life. And, you know, he says that the first half of life is spent building our sense of identity, importance, and security. That's the ego. Inevitably, we all discover often through failure or significant loss that your real purpose is at a much deeper level than what you portray to the world. If your primary operating system in the first half of life is ego, then the second half of life, it's your soul. If the first half of life is devoted to forming a healthy ego, the second half is going inward and letting go of it. And that's pretty profound. You know, we, we are all ego driven. I mean, I, all, you can say we're all type A, we're strivers, we're, you know, chasing the brass ring. We want more success. Um, you know, and sometimes that's, or all too often that's measured from a wealth context, but there are also times that it's important to evaluate success as it relates to fulfillment, happiness, joy, satisfaction, purpose, things like that. And that's not dollars in a bank account. And I know that's counter to what I usually talk about in this podcast, but all of you, most of you probably will go back through and kind of take inventory of what the year 2023 was for you. And you'll evaluate 2023 against the goals you laid out at the beginning of the year. Um, and you will go through a strategic planning process for 2024. I'm going to be going through that process with a good number of you in this audience. Uh, and I look forward to it. Uh, and, and it's fun to evaluate successes where we met them over the course of 2023. And it's really fun to think about the successes that we can create in 2024. But all too often, we label successes as numbers on a, on a whiteboard or on a spreadsheet. And I'm not really talking about any of that today. And I think when we, when we evaluate our business certainly from a strategic planning process, we, you and I, are at the root of all that. These are our businesses. But all too often, we don't really evaluate ourselves individually, introspectively, as the catalyst to those businesses. 
And this is a time of year to do that. You have the liberty to do that. You have the freedom to do that. It's cyclical or seasonal in nature. And now is a a good time not just to go through a strategic planning process for your business, but maybe to go about one for yourself. And I went through a lot of things this year a few of which I've shared with you in this episode. There was a lot more than that, I'll say for me. Um, But as I'm sitting here at the end of 2023, contemplating the year that was for us as a business at Polaris Healthcare Partners, but for my role in the business uh, and for some of what I've been through personally, I'm really excited about 2024 because I'm a different person now than what than who I was when I started the year and I think I'm better off for it and I hope the business will be better off for it. So I'll close this episode and say that for those who are listening to this who are, for those who are still listening to this episode you may have turned it off earlier on I uh, wouldn't blame you if you did but for those who are still listening to it and you're thinking about the year to come, maybe give yourself a little bit of grace and and a little bit of time and think about the year that was. And when you think about the year that was, think about some of the things that you might not have slowed down to take inventory on. Think about some of the the changes you might wanna make for you. What, What does you incorporated look like? I have this little, sticker this little thing on my computer that says y-o-u in all caps comma i-n-c period you incorporated what does you incorporated look like of course i would have to put it in a business term to be able to relate to it right dummy me but i think you know what i'm driving at so sometimes you incorporated is not the business it's it's us introspectively This is a good time to evaluate a lot of that. The 13th century Afghan poet named Rumi, R-U-M-I, has a lot of great quotes that you you can find on Google, (laughs) of course, and you can find them in some other books too. But one of them that I like a lot is, it's your road and yours alone. Others may walk it with you, but no one can walk it for you. It's your road and yours alone. Others may walk it with you, but no one can walk it for you. So what does you incorporated look like for 2023 and 2024? And maybe we'll talk about what 2024 looks like for me or for us on a subsequent episode. But I hope this is uh, an episode that you might have gotten a few pearls of wisdom out of or a different way of thinking about things. I knew it was going to be a significantly different episode than what I normally record, but it was something I wanted to share with y'all because probably there are a lot of you in the audience who are at the same stage of your career as I find myself in mine uh, and in our business. And if you're facing down some of the scary challenges um, internally and to a degree alone uh, that I was at the beginning part of the year, then maybe this helps a little bit with that. And it gives you some different ways of thinking about some different things. And I wish you, uh, all the blessings, uh, that you, um, are, are due, uh, as we close out, um, one calendar year and roll into another. 
And I hope that 2024 is a great year for all of us. If you've got questions about anything I covered in today's episode, feel free to drop me an email uh, or a text uh, or anything even off of our website. Really appreciate you being a listener and a subscriber. See you on the next episode.